So this morning, we're continuing our sermon series that we started just a few weeks ago, and that series is who, uh, The World is My Parish. It's after a, John, a quote by John Wesley, who's one of the founders of the United Methodist Church, who said, I think not of my parish as my parish, but the world as my parish. It's a continuation of the last of our sermons in the Catalyst series, the Faithful series. This idea that each one of us, each one of you are called to live out a personal ministry. In fact, that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We have it within the mission statement of the United Methodist Church, and so many other denominations have it in their same mission and vision statement, that a disciple of Jesus Christ is someone who makes disciples. A disciple of Jesus Christ is someone who makes disciples. So that way, if you don't think that you are capable of leading others, that's okay, because the disciples weren't capable of leading others either. They're barely capable of fishing, let alone whatever else they put themselves to, because God takes what is inadequate and makes us adequate. Which means that if you think to yourself, well, Brian, I can't lead anyone in faith. I can't proclaim the good news. I can't do these things. The reality is you're right. But as the apostle Paul says, It's in my weakness I will be made strong. It's in my weakness I will be made strong. And so last week we talked about how that going beyond the walls of this sanctuary, each one of you has a strength that's beyond my own. Those of us, I know we have a couple pastors in the room. If you tell someone that you're a pastor, immediately in a conversation at a beach, in the grocery store, wherever you find yourself, all of a sudden, language chair changes, demeanor changes. In fact, they might just stop small talking with you altogether and go the other way and start talking to someone else. Sometimes it's the opposite and they'll tell you your whole life story. But all that to say is that there are just people that as a pastor, I cannot talk to. And I'm not even going around saying like, hey, here's the gospel of Luke and this is what Jesus says. I was just trying to ask them about what sport their kids played and they just stopped talking to me because they asked me what I did for a profession. I told them I was a pastor here at Kailua United Methodist Church, right? Each one of you, if you're not a pastor, has an opportunity to proclaim the good news in ways that I will never be able to do. And that's okay because we talk about this thing called the kingdom of God. And did you know that the kingdom of God is diverse? Of course you did, right? Because we're a diverse people and the church is all throughout the globe and the kingdom of God is as diverse as anything that we could imagine. So too are the people that are called to live out the calling to proclaim the good news. And you know what? The Pharisees knew this, right? That's what they were told to do. And the people of Jerusalem, they felt like they were the chosen ones. Because remember, what were they chosen to do? Abraham and Sarah were chosen to be a blessing to the world, right? That they were chosen to be numerous, as, as numerous as the sand on the sea, so that the world might be blessed through them. They knew it. And in fact, they knew it so well that when Jesus, when they they ask, what do I do to inherit the kingdom? When this lawyer asks this, Jesus responds by saying, well, what do you know to do? And they knew the answers, friends. They knew it. And he said exactly what you, I hope any of us would say when you say, what's the heart of the gospel? What's the heart of the gospel? 
but to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourselves. Sometimes people like to think that the uh, Pharisees or the uh, people of Jerusalem of the time didn't know the latter part, right? But the fact is they did know the latter part, to love your neighbor as yourself. The reality, though, is, is that sometimes, just sometimes, we can all get blinded to the question, who is my neighbor? Sometimes we can all be blinded to the answer to that question, who is my neighbor? Even though that's the question that the lawyer asked, he did not expect Jesus to respond with a Samaritan. The no good, mixed racial group of people known as the Samaritans, nothing ever, ever good can come from that place from the perspective of an ancient Jew. Just wasn't there. Not only was Jesus telling the lawyer in this situation that the Samaritan is a neighbor, right? Which, first of all, that kind of evokes, why should I love that person? But on top of that, the Samaritan was embodying what it means to be a neighbor more than what the disciple or what the Pharisees and the lawyers and the, the Jews at the time were willing to acknowledge. The thing is, is that, like I said, we all can be blinded to the question, who is my neighbor? The road from Jerusalem to Jericho is a dangerous road. Had twists and turns. Oh, I lost my mic. Had twists and turns. And the robbers could easily find them, their way to ambush someone along that road. And it's exactly what happens to the person that was walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. He got ambushed by these robbers. It was a dangerous road, and it was easy to be left in the dust. And so the, the Pharisees, as they walked by, right, could have had a number of things on their mind. On the one hand, as the religious leaders of the time, they could have been trying to follow the Torah, follow the code, that they were not equipped to touch blood. And if you didn't know, blood at the time was considered sacred and also considered something that could make you unclean. And being clean according to the law was what it meant to live according to the good news. That you wouldn't want to touch that person because if you touch them, perhaps you might yourself be unclean and you might yourself then be not right with God. It's hard for us to fathom, but think about it for uh, just a second, that if someone, I, I was just biking down the road not too long ago, and um, all of a sudden crossing paths with someone that coughed on the way, and I thought to myself, ah, they just coughed. I wasn't wearing a mask. I was on my bike, right? And I was outside, and there someone coughed, and I was like, ah, I'm unclean, right? I'm unclean. And that's this like, feeling that we all get now in the midst of COVID is that it's so easy now to imagine a little bit that sense because perhaps there that person was maybe not you know, bleeding and needing of help, but perhaps there that person was without a mask and coughing on the side of the road, right? And I too would find myself like the Pharisees just moving to the side a little bit and walking along the way. I don't know the intention behind why the first two decided to walk along the other side, but I know part of the spirit and the motivation behind it. In fact, Martin Luther King Jr. talked about this in his last sermon. 
He talked about the road to Jericho as he was visiting people of Memphis and as he was helping the sanitization workers get some of their rights and speaking within that context. And he said that what the Samaritan did differently than the other two was the Samaritan did not ask the question, what would happen to me if I stopped? Instead, the Samaritan asked the question, what would happen to him if he didn't? It's not about what would happen to me, but what would happen to them if we didn't? See, I think that that sort of question is simply what blinds us to answering that question, who is my neighbor? Because it is so easy, friends, and I fall into it, I'm no person of perfection in this, to fall into our set way of doing things and being in the community. It's just easy. You have the same grocery stores that you shop at. You have the same activities you like to do with friends. I know COVID has kind of like put us inside a little bit more, but still, you have this groups of people that you hang out with and what you do and where you go, who you serve, and we can kind of get along that trajectory. And there's so many what ifs. Like, well, if I go and hang out with them, then what will my friends think? Or if I go and do this with them, well, what would then happen to the people that I I normally do stuff alongside? Or whatever that question is, it revolves around us just a little bit. I used to, I was, and when I was a pastor in North Carolina, I was part of the district planning uh, team and strategy team. I am too as well here in the Hawaii district, but one of the things that we were doing there is we come alongside churches and we ask questions with them. We help them uh, kind of relive into some sense of vibrancy. Oftentimes they'll come to us and be, you know, kind of the question, we have no children in our congregation or we really want to grow, but we seem to be declining. You know, some that happens in a lot of different churches throughout the nation. And I remember this one church in particular it was in rural North Carolina. Um, I forget the name of the town, but they were same sort of story, right? We've, uh, we've tried uh, to update our nursery. We've tried to, you know, make uh, our service a little bit more contemporary. We've tried to do this. And they start going on the plethora of lists, what they tried to do to connect to the families in their community. And then I asked them, this, or we asked them a simple question, well, do you know who your neighbors are? Because they were a church that was aging at some level. They had a lot of their youth, like you know, in a lot of places, even here in Hawaii, had moved away to find jobs, go to college, or do different things like that. And so they were struggling to really connect to the young families that were there. But then when we did a little research, we started to ask a little bit about, well, who are you looking for, right? And of course, what they were looking for, they were a a white, rural, Methodist church. And so who they were looking for was their kids in their communities, right? Their kids who had kids, in their communities. And as we started to pull some demographic research and started to ask some questions about their community, it wasn't too surprising that, you know, the, the 12 that still stuck around were still connected to the 12 different churches in the community that they grew up in. And so if they were wanting to grow into the, uh, the sense of vibrancy as a church community, they certainly probably weren't going to do it by trying to reach a demographic that simply was not there. So we asked them, well, who are your neighbors? And we helped them by pulling some research. We helped them by doing, digging around in the community a little bit and finding out that there was a lot of young families. They were just not the ones that they had been looking for. 
And this wasn't an intentional effort. This wasn't like this church community sat around and said, hey guys, how can we get the young middle-class white families to come to our church? They were just doing what they thought they needed to do, researching, learning, being what it meant to be a church. And then come to find out that there was all of these Hispanic migrant workers that were working in the sweet potato fields and living in the condominium areas and kind of packing out those areas, but hard to see unless you're working in the public schools and knowing that the kids are actually there in our community. And and this is, uh, there are dozens of stories, hundreds of stories like this throughout the nation of churches that had focused so much on this particular community and then all of a sudden to recognize neighbors that were there that they weren't intentionally avoiding, but all of a sudden a new sense of vibrancy came because they started to notice them, started to pay attention to who their neighbors were. Because that's the thing. Your neighbors are there. The question is, will you go out of that path of your ordinary life to meet them? Will you continue like the Levite And like the Pharisee, kind of go your own way, do your own thing, asking the question, what will this mean for me? Or you go out of your way to meet and care for your neighbor. All of this is within the context of the world is my parish. Because each one of us are called to live out our faith in the world. But in order to do so, sometimes we might do a little more research and energy into finding out who our neighbors truly are. Because that's one of the things that uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and actually, no, Gustavo Gutierrez, a theologian from South America, he talked about how finding out who your neighbor is not finding out who is along your particular path. Rather, finding your neighbor is an active endeavor to go out of the way of your normal path to meet them and to care for them. And I think that is the initial question in this series that we have, that you are called to go out and to be the good news in the community, but do you know your neighbor? One of our members works in the um, the Kailua uh, Windward um, administration of the DOE, and I had had in my notes to text her earlier, and I ended up texting her earlier this morning, and said, um, hey, what's the number of youth, youth that go with a sort of homeless or a houseless crisis in our community area? And I don't know if you knew, but there are some 200 in the Kalaheo Kailua district area that they oversee, that they see as either currently homeless or at risk of being houseless. 200. 200. We as a church community 
brought some effort together, and we partnered with Kaolamana United Methodist Church, which is over in Kaolu Hills on the other side here of Kailua, and we partnered with Kaolu Elementary School because it was identified as one of the elementary schools in our district that has more than 50% or 47% free and reduced lunches in there, which is to tell you that more than 40% of the children in that school live in a household that is either like just above that threshold of poverty or hovering right at it or below it. That they need, that they can get financial support through the federal government. 47% of the kids. Who is my neighbor? And what are the crowds that you find yourself in? I know one of the things that I have to say regularly around my dinner table is when we pray together, as I add the line, and we pray for those who don't have the luxury of food in front of their table or wonder about what their meal might look like next. And I I don't know about you if you've ever lived in a time of your life when you have wondered about what will come next. I haven't, except for when I was like camping or (laughs) somewhere. Where's the next stop along the interstate? And I know that my kids haven't had that either. But I know that they have friends at their school for which breakfast and lunch might be their only healthy nutritional meal they will have that day. Who is my neighbor? We're going to talk more about how we might be called out and what we might do to be better neighbors, to might be like the Samaritan, how we might enact that. But today, the question simply is this, who's my neighbor? And the action step for you that I hope that you can take away together is an action step to learn more about your community. Just next door, we have a nonprofit that manages the Ulupoheao that's connected to a community much more or much different than the community that normally gathers here on Sunday morning. You want to learn more about Hawaiian culture and context? Literally all you would have to do is walk outside, walk down a little path, and you would find yourself amidst a community that was trying to restore understanding of the land and Hawaiian culture there. Different communities are all over We live in one of the most diverse places in the nation. And yet, do we find ourselves bumping up getting to know diverse communities? Even as our own congregation, I think that sometimes we struggle with this. Just a few years ago, in anticipation for a denominational conflict over human sexuality, we had a a conversation around sex, Bible, and controversy, and just within our congregation, we were surprised as a community. We were surprised as a community because some of our younger members looked at some of our older members and they had assumed that they had known what the older members thought about the, the situation. And they were saying, we're so surprised that our older members don't seem to care about this issue and they seem to be welcoming and affirming. And then the older members that have been in Kailua for a number of years, they said to one another, we're so surprised our younger families that happen to be very military-oriented are so open and affirming. And the older members looked at the younger members and was like, we live in Hawaii, and this is just part of the atmosphere. And then the younger members looked at the older members and said, don't ask, don't tell was 10 years ago in the military. 
And then all of a sudden we saw we were afraid to have an honest conversation with those who were different than ourselves, even in our own congregation. And when we went to a deeper, went out of our way to have a deeper conversation, we were surprised. It's not just, it's going out of your way and being willing to go out of your way and have that deeper conversation, that deeper engagement. And I promise we will be surprised, not just about the ways that we will embody God's love, but God's love will be embodied in those relationships as we learn from those we encounter. And how amazing is it when we're surprised by hope, we're surprised by the other, the no good, down, like nothing good can come from Samaria. I sure hope that we can be a people that's willing to go out of our way to be surprised willing to go out of our way to care for the person and stop asking the question, but what will happen to me? And instead ask the question, what will happen to them and to our community if we continue to let barriers and divisions live on? I invite you to pray with me. Gracious and loving God, it is so easy to fall into the rhythm and habits of our everyday life. That sometimes we don't venture off the path, take a walk at a different time of day, stop in communities that we didn't stop in before. Help us as a community go out to consider the world as my parish and to learn more about the community around us. Areas in which we as individuals lack a sense of diversity that you might inspire us to connect to those who might be different than ourselves. Whether that's socioeconomic, generational, racial, career paths, whatever that is, help us experience the diversity of your kingdom so that way we might better embody the diversity of your kingdom in the world. And we know that it won't always be easy. That perhaps danger might befall us. Perhaps we might encounter people with stories that are difficult to hear. As we do it, as we see the places of pain and hurt in our communities and learn more about our neighbors, let us hold on to the hope that you make beautiful things out of all of us. And so where there is tragedy or hunger or despair, there's also hope because you abide in all of those places. 
especially where they're suffering. Amen.